The sound effects are really good. People are actually going to think you're pouring wine. <laughs> That's Thanks. so cool how you can do that. Yeah, I actually can just do it with my mouth. It's cool. Wow, with your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favorite Christmas song? Crap, I should have known that you were going to ask me that since you've asked everybody else that. Mm -hmm. um, let me think about that. We'll come back to that. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. Has anybody said, baby, it's cold outside yet? Yeah, two people have said that. Crap. Um, <laughs> I like that new one by Lauren Daigle and Chris Tomlin, Noel. How does it go? It's like Noel, except newer. So can you sing it for me? I don't remember it, but it's good. Like, is it the first Noel? Tell you what, when you edit this, just cut in a little sample of that. I can't do that. And then now, let me give some space for that. And then now, say, yeah, that was so good. That was amazing. Wow. Yep, that's the one. That's mm -hmm. the one I like. I can't <clears throat> use music that's licensed. So, welcome to my podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is my dad, Matthew Rowanhorst. And I'm going to tell you a story that I think you are going to be really interested in. We're just jumping right in into this? That's the only introduction I get? Well, what else do you want to talk about? I don't know, it just seems like there's so much you could say about me, but that's fine. <laughs> you just get right into your story. I well, don't first, want I don't want to slow it down. Let's try it. Let's try the wine first. So, I have a Sauvignon Blanc for today. It is a nice crisp white wine. So okay. Cheers. This will go really good with the 14 Christmas cookies I just ate. <laughs> What do you think of that? It's fine. What kind of wine do you usually drink, though? I drink whatever mom has left. So, Usually, like, what does she drink? The sweet stuff. Moscato. Yes. I actually bought her a bottle of wine for Christmas, and it's like this really, really sweet raspberry stuff from a local vineyard that I was like, my mother's going to love this. Yeah, anything fairly sweet, not the dry other stuff. Yeah, this is pretty dry. I can finish drinking yours if you don't want it. And then today we have a matured Gouda. Do you want to try it? No, thank you. Are you serious? Well, I'm I'm serious. I ate a lot of Christmas cookies <laughs> while we were frosting them. <laughs> I think I ate like two. Yeah. But, well, it's really good. And it complements the wine really well. So maybe all of your listeners will notice that now that you're at my house, we are using a real microphone mm -hmm. and not a phone. <laughs> And we actually have some acoustical backing behind, Indeed. so it's... Uh, we don't mess around at the Roanhorst house. No, we're, we know a little bit about acoustics, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have very much on hand, but we're, we made it work. I'll bet it'll sound pretty good. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> this will be great because a lot of my friends have been asking me if I'm going to continue the podcast after the Advent season, and I've thought about continuing the podcast not necessarily an everyday thing like I've been doing, and it certainly wouldn't be Advent-themed, but I think I'm going to brainstorm some stuff and maybe steal this microphone from you. Because mm, your brother has this for, like, streaming or something, and he was really concerned that you were not going to give it back. Is it for, like, Fortnite? I don't know. He was I actually got it for my YouTube channel that I never did. So... <laughs> So it just keeps getting passed along. Your YouTube channel for the woodworking? Well, just not really woodworking, but just anything that I wanted to do. But yeah, yeah um, that type of thing. Bu sure. Building. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Are you ready for this story? Yeah, let's hear it. So It's I almost just, my bedtime. Yeah, so I just want you to sit back and relax, and I'm going to tell you the story of the Golden State Killer. Now, is this in uh, Florida? No. <laughs> the Golden State Killer. I'm just kidding. Um, it's not Steph Curry, is it? No, <laughs> but I actually kept mis- like accidentally saying Golden State Warrior, so hopefully I don't do that during this podcast. But right. Um, have you do you have you heard anything about the Golden State Killer? Um, should I have? So was it recently? Yeah. So the crazy thing, and and I'll get is I'll get into all of this, but all of these murders and and rapes were happening in the 1970s, but they just recently were able to figure out who did it through DNA testing in oh. this this past year. So in April 2018, Joseph James D'Angelo was found. He was arrested for the crimes of the Golden State Killer. And I'll kind of start by talking about that because that is maybe one of the most fascinating pieces of this story. Did they have to exhume bodies because... That's always really weird. When they... No, they didn't have to do that. Okay. So luckily, when some of these rapes were happening, they kept some of the DNA, um, just knowing that it was likely going to, we were going to be able to... Get that technology. Exactly. Wow. So they held on to the DNA for these rapes <clears throat> and murders, and then get this. So they put together a DNA profile, and they uploaded the profile onto a website like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Oh, really? Yes. It wasn't those websites because those websites kind of prohibit that, but there was a website similar to it, so they were able to put this DNA profile onto that website as if it was a person who had their cheek swabbed, Mm. and then they could see who that person's relatives were. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? So... I... Yeah, I mean, I'm on 23andMe, right? And like every other day, they email me that I have new relatives on there, but it's usually like four cousins or something. Sure. So it seems like I'm related to most of the population. But uh, <laughs> well, so when I worked in adoption, we would have a lot of family. We would have a lot of adoptees wanting to find their birth families after being adopted through closed adoptions and so then they would use those websites to try to find their cousins and then they could kind of figure out from that who their parents were extrapolate is probably the word sure yeah and so that's i mean that's basically what they did with this and it's fascinating because so what they did was they it was called ged match that they put the website that they put it on like they didn't finish high school and then they I have no idea it's just called that but (laughs) so the website identified 10 to 20 distant relatives of the Golden State Killer which all shared the same great 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 grandparents he's probably related to me too yeah probably I'm related to most of the people on 23andMe it seems like it (laughs) so then the team of five investigators which included Paul Holes who has become really famous from this case now And a genealogist, um, Barbara Ray Venter, they constructed this giant family tree. And then they pretty much just through process of elimination could figure out who the killer was. Pretty much they identified two suspects in the case. One of them was ruled out by a relative's DNA test. And then it left Joseph D'Angelo as the main suspect. 
And so then they gathered his DNA and they were able to prove that he was the Golden State Golden State Killer. But okay, to back up now. So in the early well, You can build your case here, but I don't know. I'm gonna have to weigh all the evidence. <laughs> what? Am I deciding if he's guilty? No. Oh, okay. He's absolutely guilty. So I don't wanna you know, convict <laughs> the guy before sometimes people get framed. Sure, but this was not a case where he, where he got framed because... Well, tell me the details okay. and I'll let you know. Okay, okay. I might go to bat for this guy. Sure. <laughs> so, in 1970, from 1974 to 1975, there was... That's the year I was born. Oh, that's true. 75. Yeah. So, there was a criminal who was called the Visalia Ransacker in California. And he just pretty much went through this spree where he went he did 120 burglaries and one murder Mm -hmm. now what was weird about these burglaries and what was unique and so they kind of string it together was that honestly it's probably hard to do 120 burglaries without killing somebody well yeah so i mean for real (laughs) sooner or later somebody's gonna get killed yeah but anyways go ahead but he would break into the houses. He would kind of just rifle through the owner's possessions. They would scatter everything, steal clothes, and then just really low value or other personal items. And they would leave other expensive things. Hmm. And so it was just weird. Like this person, I think that for a while they did, were really confused about what this person was doing. But then later on it kind of became clear that this person was just kind of this person was just doing this for fun. It wasn't just because hmm. they wanted something of value. They were just kind of messing around. But Joseph D'Angelo later, I mean, they have proven that he was the Visalia ransacker through DNA and, I mean, all sorts of different things. Like, I think he had some of the people's possessions in this home even now, 40 years later. Allegedly proved sure. for now. Is yeah. that okay? but anyways so this was all happening in Visalia and it was also happening in Exeter California at the time but then uh the the person so Joseph who was doing this who allegedly was doing this I guess he kind of progressed and graduated from burglary to raping so he would rape he would he would break into these people's houses and he would usually kind of prowl the property he would frequently call the people that lived at that property to try to figure out their daily routines and sometimes hang up or pretend to have the wrong number and then he would break into the home through a window or a sliding glass door he would wake up the sleeping people with a flashlight and then threaten them with a handgun at first he was targeting women alone in their homes but then he Almost all of the ones that he did later on were all couples. So then he would... Maybe it was random. It, it I think it was pretty random. I mean, I think he chose the houses pretty randomly. But so there's this great book by Michelle McNamara that writes about the Golden State Killer. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. But this book talks about how there were all of these houses that were being built during that time that were like the single story homes and they were all glass on the outside like they were it was just a kind of like Mm. a art like a very specific architecture type yeah and so the golden state killer would always attack in 
these neighborhoods because first off there weren't second floors where people could be looking down on him he could look through the windows pretty easily and so he and they all had relatively the same layout they're pretty easy to scope out exactly and so he so most of the neighborhoods that he um ransacked in or broke into and um raped people and then later murdered people in um, they were all very similar. They had these types of homes in them. Can we can we maybe just pause here? I'd like to get like a giant bulletin board, some push pins and some yarn. Sure. Uh, maybe a map of the area and yeah. some pictures of the victims. Mm-hmm. And I think if I kind of made a collage and a bunch of lines with yarn, <laughs> I think I could maybe kind of help put this together. Sure, yeah. So Well, good news. Um, there's this man named Paul Holes that already did all this for you. Oh. Yeah. He so he's already figured all this out. But um so I've never heard of him, but okay. I guess we'll trust him. <laughs> he's a pretty big deal. Okay. Um, but he so the MO was often that he would go in, he would shine the light into the the couple's eyes, wake them up, threaten them with the handgun, and then he would separate them, have he would have the woman tie up the man, and then he would stack dishes on the man's back and say, If I hear the dishes move, then I'm gonna kill both of you. That's brilliant. Right. So then um, during this time, so this is like 1975, 1976. Yep, I remember. Joseph D'Angelo was working as a police officer in this same area. So And he's friends with Paul? No, Paul okay. is, no. This, okay. <laughs> Am I confusing Well, you? just keep going. Just keep going. So he was working as a police officer in this area. So they would have these police officers... Um, patrolling these certain neighborhoods and he would know what neighborhoods they would patrol so then he would strike in a different neighborhood. So he was a cop? Yes, he was a cop. Okay. So the guy who who they found that he was responsible through DNA testing, he was a cop during this time. And so that's how he knew where to strike and where to... Maybe that's why they let him in. I mean, maybe. I mean, but I think that's also one of the reasons. That's exactly what happened on Home Alone. It is. They what came in. They, they thought they were cops. cops. Yeah, you're right. They scoped it out. This is a copycat of Home Alone. Yeah, apparently. Well, anyways, so there were Joseph D'Angelo was in the Navy for several years before becoming a police officer. During all of this, when they were coming up with psychological profiles, they had said, we think that the person is connected to law enforcement, and we also think that he has a military background because he has, like, this crazy... Posture. <laughs> he has... He can... He has so Makes much patience. Bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His shoes are really clean. <laughs> But he, so he would be sitting outside these windows for hours. They would look at his footprints and know that he was sitting there for hours, waiting for everyone to go to sleep. Or he would... Did did any, did he leave people alive so they could like describe him? Yes. Okay. All, all of these rapes, these people lived, but then it, he kind of went from ransacking to raping to murdering. So it was like he just progressed and got yeah worse as time went on. Well, but, you just... You just, once you do something, then you're not satisfied and you go to the next thing. Right. And so it was kind of like... But I, I'm i going to have to really hear some slam dunk evidence. You know, he was in the Navy. He was in law enforcement. Yeah. So... And the DNA connected him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but who tested the DNA? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Paul Holes tested the DNA. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to him. 
So, anyways, um, the the rapist at the time he operated, he was called the East Area Rapist, and he he operated in the Sacramento County from 1976 to 1977, and at that time, um, he he had attacked. I mean, it for I think he had around 50 victims rape victims and he left dna for a lot of them but then also he kind of he did it the same way in the same houses it was like he had the same mo he so people knew that there was a rapist at large and it was the same person doing all of this but they just didn't have the technology to test and figure out who the dna was mm-hmm. and even then well, we'll get to that. So this is kind of one of the weirdest things that happened. So at one point, he had broken into a couple's home and he was going to rape the, rape the wife. But then what happened? Objection, speculation. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, so he was... Now you're saying what he was going to do. <laughs> so he was in the home and he had tied everyone up and the man had attacked him. So then he ran out of the house and... This guy riding a bike just like happened to see this happen, and so then this this guy started chasing him down, and then so the the rapist took a bike, took like stole a bike, and then the other guy took another bike and was chasing him for a long time. And that oh, guy, I think I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the the guy that was chasing him was an FBI agent, and he was so he was able to give some description as well. Mm. And so I mean, there, what's crazy too is that there's all of these like different descriptions and different photos. But he never and, caught him on the bike. No, he didn't. He got away. He probably got a worse bike. Yeah. Like it was probably some little girl riding yeah. a banana seat. <laughs> the first guy probably got a 10 speed or something. Exactly. The other guy just picked up a little yeah. girl's bike. Exactly. Um, but he, so the rapist was just super particular about the houses that he, he targeted. Like he would watch the, these people for months before he targeted them. And he would, um, yeah, I mean like he would usually break into their house even and then like kind of get a feel for the layout. And he was married. Yeah. Joseph D'Angelo. Yeah, he was. And so I wonder where his wife thought he was or if he was like when he was patrolling like he was this is where he was. I have no idea. Around this time when the rapes were happening Joseph D'Angelo actually was fired from the police department because he was caught shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. Hmm. And so then he was, he was fired from the police department. He had to be on like probation or something for six months. And so then he was no longer a police officer and he started working just kind of odd jobs after that. And so it was around that time that he graduated to murder. And so just kind of interesting. Um, I just don't know where the dog repellent plays in if. Some people had pets. And Are you joking? What? A lot of the people that he targeted and that, that were victims of his had dogs. And so he would, I don't know how dog repellent works, but he would use the dog repellent to get the dogs away. But yeah. another theory too was that he would visit these houses so often that he would give these dogs treats so mm. that they would like him and that they wouldn't like freak out when he broke into right. their home then. But... uh so then, I mean, long story short, he started after all of this was happening. Um, his f- first murder 
besides the one when he was the... And this is after he's fired now. Yeah, so this is after he's fired. He was kind of checking out a house in Rancho Cordova area in 1978, and that was where five of the East Area Rapist attacks had occurred. And he murdered this couple that was out walking their dog, and some investigators suspected that they were... The couple had, like, ran into him and then fled, but then were chased down and shot dead. And they thought for a long time that the guy who had killed them was... I mean, obviously, he was the East Area Rapist, but he was maybe in the Air Force with this other guy because... I mean, picture this, there's this dog, there's this couple out walking their dog and they run into someone that they know kind of creeping around some of these houses. And so then they confront him. He freaks out knowing that this, they've seen him walking around and like kind of scoping out some of these houses. And so then he chases them down and murders them. So that's like, that was the big. So it wasn't even a house he broke into. Mm -mm. He was covering his. Yeah, they saw they saw him creeping around. So then he. All right, them. so let's get to the, the murders. Yeah, how many people did he murder? Twelve, I believe. And I'll so after this one, it was more like he broke in. Yeah. So so he killed that couple, and then he kind of started his murder spree so there were 13 plus murdered 50 plus raped and 120 plus burglared wow during over three years no it was more than that so it was 1974 until 1986 oh wow well it was really until 1981 but then there was just kind of a another one in and what was his domestic situation he his wife stuck with him after he got fired from the force Mm -hmm. they were together until 1990 when they separated and they had two daughters together Hmm. Yeah. And when did the DNA thing come online? In 2018, just in April of this oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he just kind of quit on his own. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So he he lived in the... So it's, it's interesting, too, because when you're reading the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the book was written only like... I mean, it was published in February, so two months before they caught this guy. Are those his murder victims? Yeah. He murdered that girl on my birthday. Oh. I, I turned 11 that day. Oh, no. May 4th, 1986. Yeah. Actually, these were, yeah, these were rapes, not murders. Oh. So he raped her on your birthday. Huh. On your 11th birthday. I didn't birthday. even know it. I was at the party. Yeah. Actually, no, she was dead. So on May 4th, 18-year-old Janelle Lisa Cruz was found after she was raped and bludgeoned to death in her Irvine home. Her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack. Huh. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Um. So that was the one that was like random in 1986, though. Most of them ended in 1981. And most of the time that he murdered people, he murdered couples. So he kind of had the same MO where he would go in, yeah. rape the woman, have like dishes on the man's back, and then he would just murder them at the end anyways. But the so the dna evidence i can't believe nobody could get the dishes off of them or they, they were tied up too they were tied up and they had the dishes on their back <sighs> yeah so there was also this one time where the whole city was freaking out and so they had a town hall meeting 
and this was when the rapes were going on and there was this one man that stood up during the town hall meeting and he said what's wrong with these men that they can't defend their wives and so that they get raped if this guy came into my house I would be able to defend her and this wouldn't happen in my house so long story short a couple weeks later this guy's house actually gets targeted and the golden state killer rapes his wife and ties him up during it and so all of these people have speculated that the man who committed these crimes was actually at this town hall meeting and then targeted this guy because of what he said there are actually pictures from this town hall meeting and they have compared these pictures with pictures of joseph d'angelo and there's this really creepy photo um of just like a still from the town hall next to a picture of joseph d'angelo and it looks like the exact same person and so you should definitely google it because it's just it's really creepy yeah okay and so we're kind of all over the place but it's fascinating to me because he as he was since he was a u.s navy veteran there were so many things that he knew and so many different like um techniques for tying knots yeah well that was one of them actually (laughs) (laughs) no there were like he would tie these really complicated knots and that would also connect him to different rapes and murders but um so that's actually funny he was called the diamond knot killer yeah those navy guys they boy scouts and navy (laughs) people they know they're knots oh my gosh it's fascinating but i mean seriously he just like he he knew all of these different techniques for what's the word i'm looking for like um not interrogating but what's Uh, the word when you are like trying to hurt someone oh torturing torturing yeah He he knew all these torturing techniques and he would and even like psychological torture and so even for years and years after these things would happen he would continue to call his victims on the phone and just taunt them so he would say things like merry christmas it's me again and they would recognize his voice or they would, he would call and say, um, you're never going to catch me or I'm going to come back and kill you and just all these different things. And so he would, he would call them pretty regularly, which is, I mean, just horrible too. But yeah. Um, one of the other random things was during one of the rapes, he screamed out at one of the people, I hate you, Bonnie. And so then for a long time they thought, well, maybe his wife's name is Bonnie. So that was one like kind of rabbit trail that they had followed back in the 80s. But um, now that they have D'Angelo as their man, they're able to kind of put all these pieces together. And uh-huh. D'Angelo had actually been engaged to a woman named Bonnie in 1970. And then she broke off the engagement. And so it, it's just kind of random that like uh-huh. a couple years later he screamed this during one of the rapes. But anyways, so... So she made a really good decision, Bonnie. Well, yeah. yeah. So Bonnie can feel really good about her decision and yeah. not, um, not marrying him. But I'm not going to go into all the details of these because they're just really horrific. But 
it's just fascinating how they were able to put together this psychological profile and then of who this rapist and murderer is and then now that they have him just seeing how spot on that profile was yeah i mean it's just it's it's really fascinating just how they really got so many things so right. what was his main method of killing like he beat them to death he or usually like... shot them or yeah he usually shot them or he would sometimes bludgeon them with like some sort of tool that they had there so like with one couple he he killed them with a gardening tool with another couple he killed them with a log that was like outside of their house because they had a wood pile and but typically he oh like he had a gun with them and usually would shot them so just really dark stories i mean it's the day before christmas it's christmas eve eve <laughs> and i'm about to go to bed and you're just telling me about all these horrific murders i just wanted to dream about you know christmas positive stuff yeah but the positive thing is that he's caught and he is not going to do this anymore and he's going to get the justice that the that well you make a compelling case so do you think he was guilty well we have okay what about this so (laughs) like the the most fascinating part is like so then when they when they went to get him like what did that look like they they Get him and he's like, okay, I did it. Yeah. He's like, hey, you got the wrong guy. I don't know what you're talking about. So so the story is they initially took they had a like a warrant to get his DNA. And so they well, so they initially had just taken his DNA off of like a, a door handle or something at, at his house because they were staking out his house. And they took it. They saw it was a match, and they were like, "We bingo, we got this guy." So then they could go because they didn't have him. his DNA. They mm-hmm. had it from relatives, mm-hmm. and they were triangulating his DNA po- position in the family tree. Family tree, exactly. Huh. So then they finally got his DNA. They were like, "Bingo, we've got it." Yeah. And so then they went to arrest him that day, April twenty fourth. What year? Two thousand eighteen. Oh, that's right. Just kidding. <laughs> Six months ago. Just joking. Yeah. And so then they they did that and he was like okay i'll come with you but i have to get some i have to go turn my oven off and so they think he was gonna go kill himself yeah because then they they were like nope we'll get your oven they took him and his oven wasn't actually on yeah so he is now in jail and they think and this is something that i just read tonight but they think that this case is probably gonna i mean the trials and everything is gonna probably last about 10 years yeah um, and I mean, he's in his seventies now, and so. I mean, if I was him, and this, and I'd done these terrible things, mm-hmm. and then, you know, all this DNA stuff came online, I'd be thinking, uh, yeah, maybe I should, you know, go to Mexico or right. do something else. <laughs> right. Like, but, okay, but I mean, I guess he would know that they probably. You know, if he's not in a system somewhere as far as his DNA goes, yeah. he probably thought, you know. I'm safe. Or if you go that long, I mean, that's a long time. So if you go that long, I mean, 30 you probably start years. thinking the trail's cold, they'll caught. never catch exactly. me. Exactly, exactly. And this was a cold case that didn't have any attention to it. Like people had kind of, it was filed away. It wasn't, people weren't really following up on it as much except for, um, so I keep mentioning this book, but Michelle McNamara, she was the one that kind of brought new life to this case a couple of years ago when she decided to write this book. And she did all of this investigating and brought 
attention back to this case and then the police department started adding more investigators to it after that yeah i wonder how many cases they had stacked up filed away that was like okay if this dna thing ever goes Mm -hmm. then you know drop these in the hopper so we can get a match if and when but that's the thing i wonder if they ever did that they did and they've never gotten a match yeah but and so the thing too is that if i were a serial killer during that time that i'm that i still haven't gotten caught and i'm hearing about this then i would get really freaked out because it's like oh man my dad uses ancestry.com or like my mom uses 23andme you know so then you start realizing like wait a minute these people are voluntarily giving their DNA, even if they're not criminals. And so now they can start figuring out yeah. who's related to me and, and who. Well, they got them now, crime. I guess. It's fascinating. I just, I feel like this case is Also, really and this is, this is a little unrelated, I guess, but in my 23andMe, uh, my muscle composition came back as elite athlete. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so just, I mean, that's. How can they know that from your spit though? They get it all from the DNA. How can they know that from your spit, though? Because my whole genetic makeup is in there. It's in everything. But, I mean, what if you were really overweight? Would that would your DNA change then? No. No. Your DNA would tell you if you're prone to be overweight. Okay, that's what I'm wondering. Um, and it and I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it, tell, it tells you everything. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So it's it, a, just a little little fact. It's nothing, <laughs> no big deal. Uh, just a pretty solid match with a lot of Olympic athletes. But. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Well, Joseph D'Angelo was not. He is kind of overweight. Old man. Okay. Well, I'm going <laughs> to try to go to sleep now. <laughs> um, well, thanks for being on my podcast. Yeah. It's really good. It's yeah, fun. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Am I supposed to? Sure, cheers, okay. Me.